welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Society has not really changed much. We just change how evilness comes into our homes. But she grew up, and you know, you know, back then they would go down to, to the bathhouses for the debauchery. Now we just turn on the te- television some. But, but Mordecai, what he does is he raises her well, and along the way, Mordecai converts from being cousin to be, be, becoming daddy. And now we find Esther in a place of, you know, not her own choosing. She was adopted and forced to be a part of this beauty pageant. Basically, um, well, what happened was, you know, King Xerxes was, was a king over the Persian Empire, which was 127 different uh, nations, and he conquered them all. Uh, some of them gave up willingly, and others were, were physically conquered. But he's in charge of it all, and he lost his queen, so, uh, or he basically shunned his queen because his queen said no to him once. And, you know, heaven forbid a woman say no to a man. I mean, that's the law we're going to say, right? Well, that's what he did, and it didn't turn out too well for him. So he lost his queen, and, and uh, so they wanted a beauty pageant. So the king can have a new wife. His first wife said no, so get rid of her. Now, this king is, is quite a guy. Because every time he sits down, if you, if you read the scriptures, there's a lot of alcohol involved. Every time he sits down, it talks about him you know, having a, a drink. So King Xerxes is, is literally an alcoholic. So alcohol played a big part of his life. And we see the major mood swings within, within the book. And you know, he's a dictator of the world that needs a wife who won't say no to him. So he finds Esther, and he falls in love with her. But he falls in love with her looks. But not only the, uh, her looks, because she is so gracious. He literally falls in love with her. She has this internal beauty to go with the external beauty. So Esther is put in a situation where others would be jealous and others would, would look at her and, and want to be where she is. But in some ways, she has it really good, but in other ways, she's not so good. She, I mean, she is now the queen. But something we haven't really talked about because it it becomes really messy. And yes, the Lord does put messy things in his word. She is the wife of a king who has a harem. Well, what does that mean? It means he sleeps with a lot of women. That's what it means. He's not a dedicated husband. Here the Lord allows her to be in this situation because he wants to use her for the greater good, to save his people. This environment is sick, let me tell you. I mean, can you relate, not to the harem part, but can you relate, is there anything in your life where maybe you go to work, or you go to school, or, or maybe it's, you know, it's in your home or where you go, and you go, the closer that I get to Jesus, the more I start to see this sick environment that I live in. Now, we don't dwell there because, you know, when we start to dwell in that, we get kind of bummed out, we get depressed, we get, we get hopeless. Esther couldn't dwell there either because she has to move through this. 
She connects with God in, in, in a way that she's been doing since childhood that is just an awesome thing, which is, you know, it's very interesting since the Word of God isn't, I mean, the word God, the word Lord, isn't even mentioned in this, in this book. You know, ten chapters, and they don't mention the name of God. Now, the Jews, they have always accepted this uh, book of Esther's written scripture since, it, you know, the, since the guy put it down, you know, when whoever wrote it down, which they think was Mordecai, but we're not sure. You know, since it was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus came along and the disciples started writing different scriptures, you know, and they were also anointed, others were also uh, writing that were not anointed. So the fir- first church fathers in the, in the first century and the second century, they had to sit down and, and search through and go, okay, well, you know, is this book scripture? Is this from God or is this not from God? And the book of Esther, they, they just really just fought over because it didn't have the word Lord or the word God in it. Well, finally, they came to their senses and realized that it's just more than just a name. This book is, is written really in the type of lives that we live, where the name may not be there, but God is active in our lives. You know, we'd all love to have the, the book of Acts style of life, right? You know, healings going on, miracles happening. You just sit back and go, wow. I mean, that's just unbelievable. But in reality, our lives are more like Mordecai and Esther, where we have to choose to follow the Lord or not follow the Lord. We have to make a choice within our own life. Why? Well, because there are five chapters before we see God do anything in this book. And we read this and go, okay, evil Haman, evil king, evil palace, you got alcohol, you got the harem going on, all these bad things. And it's like, Lord, what, what are you doing here? But it's like our life. We come to, to church and enter into a cool environment of worship and getting into the word. Then we go back out and we have to deal with the nitty-gritty. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, isn't it? It's tempting to enter into that environment. But God pulls us away and says, come away with me. Enter into to my presence because I still want to use you in that environment because you are representing me. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and put you there in that setting. And then we say, well, well Lord, why aren't you moving in this environment? Why aren't you moving at, at my work? Why are you not present and the Lord says, well, let's see, where, you know, reality, where am I? I'm everywhere. Everywhere I go, I see you. It's a Rich Mullins song that we just sang a little earlier, and I love Rich Mullins' music. Everywhere I go, where is the Lord? He is everywhere. But Lord, I don't see you active at all. And the Lord says, well, whose eyes are you looking through? Whose lenses, what glasses are, are, do you have on? You're really not in focus here. And it takes us some time before we say, The Lord is present in that environment, in us and through us. Think about that. The Lord is present in whatever environment you're involved in, in you and through you. And we say, well, Lord, you're not a very good judge of character then. You've got to go out and find somebody else. But in reality, he has selected you because he loves you and he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and use you. That may be in your home, that may be in your marriage, that may be at your work, it may be at your school. It's possible that you're the only Christian around. But at the end of the year, your influence can lead somebody to the Lord. 
See, God is active and working in this world. And outside of, of Christ, this world is headed for disaster. Now, the Lord never needs a majority to work in an environment. And this is what is so cool about God. He can use two people to, to change an entire nation. And that's what he does with Mordecai and Esther here. This is his strategy. He doesn't need numbers. It's not majority rules. He doesn't ask for a vote on things. Okay, everybody gather up. Let's vote. Do you want me to do this or not? He doesn't do that. He's God. And when it comes, you know, when, it, when he comes, he chooses to use us as part of, being, uh, as part of him being active. But sometimes, not until chapter 5 of our lives. And this is where Esther is right now. She is in the palace. She has minimal contact with any friends that she used to have at all. She has to make new friends. You know, we can assume that the wall of the palace was a very difficult thing for Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai can only see her very, very few times can, can Mordecai even talk to her. And most of the time he has to talk to her through other people. She can't talk to him like she did every day. She is waited upon hand and foot every day. You know, last week we mentioned how people had to come before the king. They'd have to get on their hands and knees and crawl and, you know, and show their hands to, to see that there's no weapons there. Well, this is also how they would have to approach the queen. Everybody but who? Mordecai, Mordecai and Haman. I mean, not Mordecai. Haman and King Xerxes. Those are the only two that didn't have to come into her like that. And then they'd have to wait for her to address them first. That's the only way you can have a conversation. She would have to start the conversation. So if she didn't want to talk, she'd just sit there. And you would be down on the ground going, okay, is she going to say anything? See, relationally, she would be a very lonely girl. Her dad is walking around the complex somewhere. And the king does not even know who her father is. And, he, and her father, which has saved the king, has not received any honor yet. And Mordecai feels what any father would feel when his daughter goes off to college or maybe gets married. And there are walls now because life has changed. You just can't walk in and say, this is what I want to dictate. This is how I want you to do this, this, and this. You can try, but ultimately they have to make a decision. You've got to remember that Mordecai hears about an assassination attempt on the king and, and tells Esther. And she tells the king, and this, is, you know, this causes the king to love Esther more than anything. The king is happy and records this in his, in his daily history. These two men were execu you know, executed on the, on the gallows. And, and when you think gallows, you think in the Old West kind where they got the noose thing, you know, walk up and they pull the, the switch and the guy falls. No, that's not how it's done. You're impelled one a couple of ways, and we'll just leave it as that. And they stick you up on a high pole for everyone to see for a very long time. So you're kind of, you know, you're skewered. Coming from Texas, I understand what a skewer is. This is what they do. And Mordecai gets no reward. It's just recorded. 
In the meantime, Haman, which, you know, Haman gets promoted, and he's a very evil man. He, he hates the Jews, and that's been going on for a thousand years, that conflict between, between his, his family, his clan, if you want to say, and the Jews. And this conflict has been going on. We talked about that, how they attacked the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. And, and you know, 500 years later, and King Saul was supposed to, to deal with them. God said, now's the time to deal with that family unit. And Saul doesn't do his job. So 500 years later, here it is. He hates the Jews. He is evil, and he's highly intelligent. That's a bad combination. And when it comes, you know, and when he comes by you, you're supposed to fall on your face. But Mordecai says, "I can't do that. I've been taught not to, you know, fall down and serve anyone. The the only person I ever fall down in front of is my God." He's been quiet up until now about it. Just went about his work. And worship the true God. Didn't carry a huge Bible around the office and knock people upside the head. Didn't show off about it. But now he's forced to come out as a Jew. He just can't, you know, be like everybody else at the office party. Because he doesn't do what they do. He doesn't act the same way as, as they act. He doesn't go on the business trips and do the same things as the world does. Because he doesn't act this way. He doesn't have to endure someone saying to him, well, I thought you were a Jew. You know, for us, it'd be like, well, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you doing that? You said. This is a major wake-up call. And this is, this is what sort of happens here. Mordecai, you know, uh, Mord- uh, Haman is coming and Mordecai does not bow down. He says, no, I can't do that because I'm a Jew. So Haman, who is prejudiced prejudic- against all Jews, wants to wipe them completely off the face of the earth. And he gets permission to do this from the king. And he sends out notices from Iran to Africa to India to Russia. That's the expanse that we're talking about here. In the meantime, Mordecai is mourning at the front gate, causing a big rusk, uh, ruckus here, you know. And Esther sends out a minion, you know, one of her, her people out to, to, to give him clothes. And there's an exchange between, uh, between this man and, and Mordecai. And, you know, basically ends with Mordecai saying, you tell that daughter of mine she better wake up because her family is also going to die if she doesn't do anything. Esther finally wakes up and realizes what is at stake. Because God will save his people one way or the other, but you and me, our family, and all the people we're related to will be wiped off the earth. So she says, I will go before the king in three days, and I want you to fast and pray for me. And that's where we pick up in chapter 5. It says, on the third day, Esther put on our royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. She's there, man. She's all dressed up. She's matured. She's beautiful. I mean, she's been queen for several years now. It says the king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, and how could you miss her? I mean, she's the most beautiful woman in the, in the kingdom. How could you miss her? He was pleased with her and held out, her, the, held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So, so Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. He's really happy. He's like, get in here. I haven't seen you in a while, Esther. 
And she's like, I know, I thought you were mad at me, but, but, but uh, you know, I'm glad you're not. She, she's basically getting some FaceTime with the king. You know, he hells out the gold scepter. That's the only way that, I mean, if you didn't hold that out, what happens? They cut your head off. You, you got one or two things when you came before the king. Either he let you in or they went out and killed you. That's the law of the land. Verse 3, it says, Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, I will give it to you. Now, this is just something kings say. They really don't mean it. If a king ever says to you, you know, just be quiet. It's just protocol here. Now, another thing here. He has no idea that he has signed the death warrant for his wife. He has no clue. Haman came in and said, hey, these people are they're causing a big problem. They're, you know, they're going to pr- cause problems in the, in the kingdom if we don't take care of it. King says, well, just take care of it. He has no idea. And this is the way it is with Xerxes-type people, isn't it? They have no idea the ramifications of their decisions. The Xerxes syndrome goes into effect. You know, privilege gets to us and we just say, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it usually involves alcohol somewhere. It usually happens around alcohol. Feeling really good about it. But a week later it comes back and what? It bites us. The Xerxes effect is now affecting his marriage. Not only the you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that are, that are planned to be slaughtered here. But it affects his own marriage. Verse 4 goes on and says, If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for you. Well, great. I mean, that's all she wanted? That's good. To invite me to a party. I love banquets. They have alcohol. Just me and Haman? This is great. You really, I mean, he's my number two man now, so, so you can really get to know him. This is, this is really good. Bring Haman at once, the king said. So that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had uh, prepared. And as they were drinking wine, surprise, surprise, the king asked, uh, again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, you know, you never really say what it is. You've got all these flowery words around it. That's what she's doing here. To grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to a banquet. I will prepare for them, and then I will answer the king's question. Now, the first time I read this, I thought, wow. I mean, what a planner here. She's got all these banquets lined up, ready to go. But the more I read this, the more I kind of, you know, I think something else is going on here. Well, I mean, what do you think is going on? She doesn't know what to do. She, you know, she, she hasn't already planned another banquet. She, she's just kind of on the fly here. We don't really know. But we can have a, you know, a little, little bit of, let's kind of jog off the scripture here, but, you know, without being blasphemous. But just to kind of think this through. I think when she fasted and prayed for three days, the Lord gave her one thing. I want you to invite Haman and your husband to a banquet. And then I will tell you what to do next. You know, often the Lord does this with us. He just tells us the next step, and he waits to see if we're going to do it. 
I mean, I'd love it if the Lord said, I want you to do this, this, this. I mean, just give me the whole plan. I'm a planner. I can, you know, I'm a detail kind of oriented guy. Just give it all to me. And then, then I can go, okay, that's my goal. Let me work toward that goal. But the Lord says, I want you to do this. And he sits back and says, are you going to do it or not? How many of you have a big picture of your life? Maybe the Lord gave it to you last night in prayer, you know? Your 15-point plan. You know, it's usually in the middle of the next thing that the Lord tells us what the next thing would be. You understand what I'm saying? We finally go and do what the Lord wants us to do, and, and we're in the middle of it, and he goes, okay, now next step. And you're like, oh, good. Oh, it's getting late. I'm glad you finally told me. See, in reality, the Lord leads, and he usually just tells us the next thing. But he won't tell us if we don't wait on him. There are times when the Lord allows us to to get out kind of on that branch and he just cuts it right off. You know, like a little kid climbing a tree and the Lord says, okay, far enough, there goes the branch. It goes down. And the Lord goes, why are you getting all the way out there? Stay closer to the trunk, buddy. He's teaching us to stay off the branches. We would love to see the next, you know, year of our life or the next 10 years of our life. I mean, you know, but... As we saw in the book of Acts, sometimes the Apostle Paul, as he's going along, I mean, the Apostle Paul, I mean, uh, he's, I mean, they made statues of this guy. They named churches after this guy. Not that we should be doing that, but that's what they did. It's the Apostle Paul. And he goes, I don't know what we're going to do. I thought the Lord wanted us to go this way, but apparently not. Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord says, okay, I want you to do this next step. And that's what Paul does. Did John know when he was standing at the feet of Jesus, as he was being crucified, about what was going to happen in three days? Well, he'd been told. But just because you've been told, I don't know how many times my dad has said, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And I go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then sure enough, you know, just because I was told didn't mean that I actually believed it. It's like, John, something you've never experienced before. You just kind of wait and see. And I think this is what is happening with Esther. She is sitting there going, I can't believe this worked. The king's not mad at me, and, and Haman is here. He's the enemy. I'm like, Haman, I can't. Arr. But I've got people all over the capital city knowing that I'm Jewish now. And it's only a matter of time before that gets back to the king and Haman. And the king will finally say, you're... You're Jewish? I didn't know that. I've been married for you for how long and I didn't know this? So what happens? Verse 9, it says, Haman went out that day happy and high spirits. And you gotta, you'll love this because you've got to watch the mood swings with Haman here. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence... He was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. You know he wanted to take care of it right there in front of everyone. But he restrained himself and went home. You ever have days like this? This one verse in the Bible. I mean, you know, your day starts all happy and everything, and you're just having, but then you see that one person. Oh, and it just ruins your whole day. Because everything that that happened between you and that person, it just comes flooding back. That's what he's doing here. 
says here, he says, calling together his friends and Suresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons. This is how he makes him, himself happy. This is his happy place. He's boasted to them. You know, he's going to have a family meeting. Gather everyone up. We're going to talk about how great I am. Why is he doing this? Because there's one person that's bugging the heck out of him. This one person is wrecking his whole day. Here's the problem. No one has the power to wreck your day unless you give it to them. Unless you give them the power to wreck it, they don't have that. This little, at the, you know, this little guy, this little Jew at the gate has just totally wrecked his day. Even though he's the most, second most powerful man in the whole world, this one little Jew is just, just killing him. This little guy, oh man. Verse 11, it says, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king has honored him and how he had elevated him above all the nobles and officials. Like his wife has never heard this before, you know? She's just probably rolling her eyes. Yes, honey, you're so special. Let's read and, you know, let's, let's go look at all those plaques that are up on the wall all about you. Let's read all about it. You're truly great and how lucky I am to be married to you. It's all me, 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 me for him. Then he says, verse 12, and that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to a banquet she gave. Just me and the king and the queen. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Oh. His wife Suresh and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows built, 75 feet high, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go to the king, then go with the king to the dinner and be happy. And they're like, Please be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. I mean, this, we might as well start calling him Hang him High Haman. I mean, how high is 75 feet? I know, I know. Somebody like Randy's going to go 75 feet. That's how high it is. I get that. But, but we're talking about seven stories here around about, right? That's pretty far. I mean... To Larry, I mean, the hospital's being built, you know, they got the new hospital. That's pretty tall. It's what, four floors, five floors, six floors? 75 feet. And pell him seven stories up so the whole city can see him and know that Haman put him up there. And everyone will bow down to Haman. He is like, oh, I like this idea. Oh, man, I like this idea. I want to see him squirm up there a little bit. And the Lord stops us right there. The Lord says, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this gallows business? You know what? The Lord tells us we have to be careful about building gallows. As a matter of fact, don't do it. Don't build gallows for someone else to squirm on. You never know who will end up there. Proverbs says in chapter 26, verse 27, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it himself. Do not lay a trap for someone else. Not at work, 
not in their family dynamics, you know, extended family or where, just don't do it. Even if there's, some, you know, something, you know, in you that would, would love seeing the person squirm. I'm telling you. Even if they've done things to you, don't do that. Because number one, as a believer in Jesus, it won't feel good when it happens. We think it will, but believe me, it won't. It will feel cheap and ugly and sinful. It'll feel like Judas Judas Iscariot right before he killed himself. That is how it feels. The Holy Spirit will not allow it to feel good. Why? Why? Because he is the one who is trying to be in charge of seeking revenge. What does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Now, why does he say that? Well, we're like, Lord, that's not unfair. I mean, that last person, I mean, they're not even sorry. I mean, you know, I gave you a chance, but, you know... Lord, you you haven't ran them over with a truck or something, or, you know, you've done nothing. They're my boss now. I don't trust you, Lord. You take too much time. I mean, you, you took five chapters even to show up in the book of Esther. And we're talking about mature Christians. This is how we act as mature Christians. Have you ever seen a good church fight? Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Seen a good church fight? Not that any fight in a church is good, don't get me wrong. But if you've ever seen one, it's blah, 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 that pastor, blah, 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 and, or it may be that, that elder, or it may be that person, or that, I can, or whatever, you know, whatever ministry you've ever been involved in. I mean, the good, oh, it's terrible, just terrible. You know, our human nature is to hit back harder, isn't it? That's our nature. And we might even have a reputation of that. Man, don't, don't mess with that person because you'll get it. They hit back really hard. Believe me, I've, I crossed them once. Well, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. For, but for us, it doesn't have to be. Don't read this Bible and say, Lord, come into my life. Lord, come help me. Lord, Lord change me. Because if you don't expect him to change you, See, he's going to make you a gracious person who will lift up grace in the face of everything as we talked about with Esther a couple of weeks ago. You know, if it didn't need grace, it wouldn't require Christ dying on the cross for us. And if we enter into the followers of Jesus, we enter into grace. Don't build gallows for somebody else. Even good advice from Christ, you know, is, is stop building traps because you don't know who's going to hang on there. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your, your, your wife. Maybe it's that person that we should have shown grace to, should have shown Jesus to. But instead, we, we choose oftentimes to act like the world. The scriptures say we come against the, the world with the, the personality and nature of Jesus Christ, who, who being the very nature of God, did not consider himself, you know, consider Godhood something to be attained. But he came to sacrifice his life. He came into his own, and he, his own received him not. This is our Jesus. He came into a world that's hostile to him, the same world that we live in. 
Now let's be the same as Jesus. Haman is an awful, evil example. And we say, I I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be like him. Haman's building a gallows. Well, let's do a couple of verses in chapter 6 and call it a day. Why is that? Because God finally wakes up in chapter 6. It says, that night the king could not sleep. He has what we call Holy Spirit insomnia. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. I mean, this, this cracks me up. This is a funny, very funny guy. He could have anything. I mean, he's got a harem of I don't know how many women. He could, do, he could have anything. He could have entertainment brought in. He could have food brought in, you know, that 3 a.m. snack. He could have everything. I'm sure he had plenty of 3 a.m. Sta- snacks. He's a pretty big guy. But what does he do? Come and, and come and read me stuff about myself. That's what he wants. He discovers something that, that begins to unfold. The trap that Haman sets is the one where Haman wishes he never got out of bed that morning because the king is fixing to find out something and it will change everything for the Jews. Well, that's enough for today. So why don't we pray and we'll get going. Lord, I think about how many times in my life I've been upset with certain individuals that and sometimes it goes to the point where we, we just wish something would happen. And I pray, Lord, that you, uh, that you allow us to see traps are never good. Hurting people is never good. Your grace is always awesome. Your grace is what we should bring before people. Lord, I pray in our everyday life that, that when we see evil, that we get upset on the inside, but we know that you're in control. There's times when you tell us to confront evil and there's times when we just, you, you just have a set back and wait for the right time. And I pray, Lord, that we re- wait on that time and that we recognize that you are moving and you are active in this world. Sometimes, Lord, I, I pray that you just show that, that, that you are active. But, Lord, when you don't, I pray that I looked and look up to the heavens and I know that you're there. I know that you're ultimately in control. And ultimately, you're the one I serve. You're the one I want to make happy in my own life. Hmm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you in those moments when, when you're at your weakest, that you rely on his strength. That we be like Esther and Mordecai and do what's right in this evil, evil world. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, amen.